0: So, they're the first ones mentioned by name. And all this, like, non identity things, they're mentioned by name. And their names mean fragrant and blessing and, and, and a sweet tune in your ear kind of a thing. And so they, it creates a sweetness as you read their names. They're commanded. Okay, we're still not ready for just straight out go and stab them. Okay, now it's like, okay, well, this is what you're going to do. I want the midwives to go to the babies, and I want you to strangle them or kill them or snap their neck. I don't know. Do something as they're coming out. If it's a boy, I want you to kill them. you are like, well, how would you get away with that? Easy. One, the mortality rate of both mother and child is extremely high in the ancient world. It was not uncommon for people to be pregnant with maybe 14, 15 kids, And by the time their kids reach 5 or 6 or 10, they only really have like 6 or 8. Okay, lots of children died in childbirth. Pretty much you would be the most amazing woman to not have a miscarriage in the ancient world. Okay, every woman had a miscarriage in the ancient world at some time or other. And every woman would have lost a kid to sickness or a farm accident by the age of 5. You were considered incredibly lucky if you made it to 10. In the ancient world, so to have a baby die in childbirth would have not shocked the child. Now, I'm not saying that it would not incredibly been depressing and emotional. I'm not saying that, but it would not be surprising that that happened. Two, natural childbirth is incredibly painful. Okay, I saw the look on my wife's face when she did three times. Okay, it's incredibly painful. She was not aware of a lot what's going down there when you're in that much pain. So it's very easy. In fact, when my firstborn came out, the umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck twice. Every time my wife laid, laid on her side, the heartbeats started going away. When she went on her back, it came back. And I was able to see it, but my wife wasn't. But when she, Natasha came out, that doctor unwrapped the umbilical cord so fast, I was like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. And got Natasha's head twisted right, and she ended up being fine. So it's not very hard to bring that. I mean, you're pulling on the head. I saw the doctor's poem. It's like, that's an that's amazing neck. They pull on the head. It would not be hard to just like that, and the mother would have never known. Now, I know that sounds sadistic and twisted and horrible, and it should, but I'm just trying to explain to you how it is very easy for that mother to never know what is happening, and this would not make the news as some kind of conspiracy theory. And so this is what he's commanding them. Now, you say, well, why doesn't he just kill the babies? He doesn't want to do that yet. He doesn't think the culture is ready for that. If he was ready for that, then he would just go out and do it right now. So this is what they're to do. Now, what's interesting is in these verses, a, a long period of time goes by. Okay, It feels like only like a couple of weeks go by, but you're not going to notice because the midwives refused to do it because they feared God. Well, it's not like... Thousands of babies are being born every day, okay? You have to realize it's going to take a long period of time before Pharaoh notices the number is not going down. First of all, they they don't have the ability to go door-to-door counting everybody. And you're not going to go door-to-door counting everybody and saying, hey, do you have all your male children? Because that makes it obvious that something is weird. So it's only going to be after several months, maybe even a few years, before it becomes obvious this population is not decreasing. So he brings the midwives in and he asks them, why, why, why aren't you doing what you're supposed to be doing? And the midwives say, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're more vigorous. Okay, now that's kind of, mis- that makes it sound like these Hebrew women are saying, your women are pathetic and weak and they're not as strong as Hebrew. You don't go up to the Pharaoh and say that. Okay, you're going to die it's not what they're saying exactly. The word vigorous, the word there doesn't necessarily mean vigorous in a strength sense. It means a more diligent kind of a thing, more intentional, more communal. The idea is Egyptian women saw themselves as more wealthy, more privileged. So they tended to regulate a lot of work too, servants, which means there's more likely a chance that when they give birth, midwives are going to help them do that. But if you go to a lot of other cultures, even today, who helps deliver the baby a lot of times? The family. And so what they're saying is the Hebrew women are more communal, that by the time we've gotten there, the family has already helped them deliver the baby, not like Egyptian women who tend to delegate it out to Hebrew people. Does that make sense? So, a lot of people have accused the wives of or these midwives of lying to the Pharaoh. And they're like, well, why would God bless people who lied? Well, that assumes that they're lying. Okay? that's. I mean, we know it's very likely that that's actually how it works. I mean, when you, if you even see the movie The Help or the book, read the book The Help, those mothers saw it below themselves that actually raised their own children, which is really messed up. <laughs> And so they delegated out to people they thought who were lesser than them. Which, in the end, those people actually ended up becoming more loving and better mothers than the original mothers. Which I think that's the whole irony of it. I see you as lesser, so you can raise my children. But you actually end up becoming a much better person than I am because you do a better job raising children. That's the irony of that whole scenario. And that's what they're saying here. So, one, what if they are lying? Does that mean God is blessing them for their lying? No, he's blessing them because they were faithful to God. Does God bless you when you're faithful? But are you always perfect in your faithfulness? You see, if you're waiting for God to bless somebody when they're perfect, then you will never get blessed. Don't think like, well, God blessed them, so that must either mean they didn't really bless them because they're doing this or he's approving of that. No, because God blesses people and none of us are perfect or it could be that they really are not lying and you're just making assumptions so the reality is they they stand up to pharaoh and they say we're not going to obey you that is courage these women are the heroes in this story right now moses is not even here yet it's not the pharaoh it's not moses it's two women who have been cursed by the gods. Why? Because midwives typically were women who did not have children themselves. And in the ancient world, if you can't have children, there's something wrong with you. We saw that with Sarah and Abraham. And because the gods are responsible for everything, then the gods have allowed you to be barren. And the only reason the gods will make you barren is because you've done something to offend them which means you're cursed by the gods. So you're a common woman who has no pedigree. You're not an Egyptian. You have no power. And you've been cursed by the gods, and everybody's looking down at you as, oh, that woman. Well, we all know that, Well, we'll tolerate her to come and help us, but you're the one that we talk about, time. The most powerful man in the entire world is not mentioned by name. Yet the woman, the person, that is the most rejected and the most ignored and the most cursed by the gods becomes the named woman who is faithful to Yahweh and is blessed by name more than any other person in this story. If you read the Bible long enough, you'll notice that that's a constant theme throughout the Bible. It is typically the most insignificant quote people in the culture that tend to be the most significantly used people in the kingdom of God. And that's the point that God is making here. These are the people that are mentioned. And for the first time ever, God is finally mentioned and is blessing the non-Egyptian childless women. And he mentions them by name and he gives them families of their own. And he blesses them. Because they had enough fear of God to stand up to Pharaoh and do the right thing. And if God can do that with what the culture seems as the most insignificant people who may not even know who Yahweh is and be worshiping him, then he can use any of us. And any time that you think, I can't be used by God, that's exactly the time that he begins to use you. Okay? And that's the point that he's making here. And so the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and he interrogated them. And they replied, verse 22, Then Pharaoh commanded his people, All sons that are born you must throw into the river, but all the daughters you may let them live. And that's his command. Now he's ready. He's tired. Forget plan A. Forget plan B. Hopefully the propaganda has worked long enough. I'm tired of this. Let's just kill them. Straight out. Now, why the males only? Well, one, the males are more likely to grow up to become military soldiers. So they're going to be seen as more of a strength threat to you than females are. It's not an anti-female thing. That's just a cultural reality from that time period. Two, people are already used to killing the male animals and sacrifices, so male tends to be more connected to that death thing as well. And when you reduce the male population, it increases the women population. The only way a woman can find any kind of safety or security in a culture is by being married, which means they're more likely to die out and go out that way too. You can kill lots of women and still have a powerful dominant culture. You kill lots of men, and the women who are dependent upon the men are also going to be affected as well. And so why throw them in the Nile? Killing a kid with a sword is a lot messier. If you've put a picture of a kid being thrown into the water and disappearing, that is not as horrifically graphic and horrifying as running a kid through with a knife and the blood spraying everywhere and pulling on the ground. So it's a lot cleaner, less horrific visually for people to watch happen. Two, they disappear. The bodies are gone. And three, the Nile was seen as a god. So it becomes an offering to the god. So if the god lets them die, then you blame the gods. And you're not guilty anymore. If the god lets them live, well then, hallelujah. Okay, And then you got to come with another plan. Which is very interesting because here's how the first chapter ends. It ends with Pharaoh's had the last word. Okay, well, okay, God's been blessing da, 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 but oh my gosh, there's no way this can be stopped, right? Now the full power of the political Egypt is going to come in and he's just going to blatantly kill them all. How is anybody going to survive the power of Pharaoh in Egypt? And you're left with, what is God going to do now? But if you've been really paying attention, you're not afraid. Because you've seen God blessing them despite all the plans of Pharaoh. So every time that Pharaoh's plan has gotten bigger to kill them, God's blessing has gotten bigger to thwart him. So the bigger the plan now, the average reader seems no hope. But the reader who's reading it theologically thinks, oh, now it's going to get even bigger and better when God acts. Now you need to pay attention to that because our memories are very short. No matter how awesome God is at dealing with problems in our life, the next time a bigger problem comes along, we tend to forget the amazing thing that he did. And we think, oh my gosh, we're screwed now. What's going to happen now? And we begin to panic. And we begin to try this and try that and try that. But what God is teaching you is don't forget. The bigger the problem, the bigger the blessing and the miracle of God. And so he ends this chapter in such a drastic cliffhanger kind of a way because he's trying to say to you, do you know what's going to happen next? I'm going to be even bigger now. Now, turn the mirror on your life. Whatever problem you're dealing with right now, do you know what's going to happen next? Expect me to show up. Don't be ignorant of the previous paragraphs. That's what God's saying. And so just as it's important to read the previous paragraphs to not lose your hope at the end of this chapter, you need to pay attention to your journals or your past testimonies or your family's testimonies to not be ignorant of what God is going to do next in your life, no matter how oppressive it things, seems. Does that make sense? That's what God is trying to teach you here. Okay, and so he ends this chapter with that sense, but it also prepares you for an irony that is coming. Just as the Nile is intended to kill a baby, the Nile is actually going to become the means that God is going to use to save a baby. And that's the irony. Okay, and so this is what God has set up. Right now, it's not about Moses right now. Right now, it's about the fact that Israel is not dying because of God. No matter how bad it gets for us, no matter how hopeless you think your situation is, think about how many things God has brought the people of God throughout the thousands of years of our history. Do you honestly think He's going to stop now with you? He is faithful to complete the work that He began in you. And the point is, if you just fear God and remember the story that He's already told then you can, without a shadow of a doubt, expect him to keep you from dying emotionally, mentally, physically, financially, communally, because that's what he's in the business of doing. He always has. And it doesn't have to be a big, powerful politician. Most of the time, it tends to be the nameless people in our everyday normal neighborhoods and communities that he will use to save you, bless you, do something big with. Does it make sense? That's what he's teaching here. And he's telling you these people that we don't know, we can't relate to because their culture is foreign, but once you understand what he's developing here, then my goodness, no matter what you're seeing on the news, don't lose hope. No matter how oppressive you think the government's going to get one day or what's going to happen to us or your freedoms are taken away, that's not the story. The story is I'm using the everyday normal people to bless you despite the oppression. Is your life going to be comfortable? No, it wasn't for them either. But it's going to be blessed and it's going to be good and he's going to take care of you. You can easily focus on Pharaoh, the politics, the news. But God is trying to get you to focus on what he's doing between the lines, even though he's never mentioned by name. And that's the news we need to be watching. That's the news we need to be paying attention to. And that's why it's so important. The book of Deuteronomy is going to make the big, big, big important point. Remember, remember, remember. Testimonies, journals, songs, memories, whatever you can do to remember what God has done so you'll know what he'll do.